Good evening, good evening, good evening. Welcome to this special midweek life class. I'm so elated about tonight's life class because I've got two phenomenal guests that are with us, dear brothers in the faith. It's going to be a wonderful time. Thank you for joining us. Um, the two men of God that I will introduce briefly are seasoned men of God uh, with a lot of ministry years and ministry under their belts. So I just give the Lord the glory for their lives. And I understand what a sacrifice it is to even have them on here with me tonight. It's going to be great. It's going to be off the hooks. Um, it's, it's just, it's just going to be a wonderful time in the presence of the Lord. Let me throw out a disclaimer that tonight we're going to go a little bit beyond, uh, potentially we'll go beyond the normal end time of 8.30 um, so that we can we can harvest as much, much truth as possible out of our conversation tonight. Okay, bring up my first guest tonight. Um, both of our guests tonight are no strangers to House on the Rock London. Um, I've had them in conversations before um, on, on this same platform, but I've never had them together in, at the same time on this platform. And every time they've been with me, it's been they've been dropping gems of wisdom and knowledge and insight and all of that. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much. They have long resumes, and I could spend minutes upon end <laughs> reading out their res resumes. So I'm going to try to keep their resumes brief and um, just bring them on. A dear brother of mine, um, he, their midweek service is normally at, around this same time um, on Wednesdays. And to show the graciousness of heart and the kindredness of spirit, I was not aware of that when I invited him, that, hey, can you come on here? And he was silent for a while, you know? And then he came back and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still didn't know what had taken place until he now told me that, you know that, to do this, I'm going to have to shift one of my own meetings just to be here with you. And that meant so much, so much um, to me. And I know that a number of um, kingdom culture people are online here with us tonight. And thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for releasing your covering, <laughs> your apostle to be with us tonight. Um, he's the overseer of the um, kingdom culture movement and the kingdom culture churches oversees quite a number of ministry efforts and churches and he's also a seasoned businessman a man of many parts like i said if i go on reading down the resume we'll still be here 10 minutes from now receive with me reverend israel olume isiawe as i bring him up on stage hey bro how you doing uh, we can't hear you yet. It looks like your microphone is low. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let not yet, almost there, but not yet. Soon. Okay, okay. Can you something. hear me now? Yes, we can hear you now. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, brother. Good to be with you. I'm looking forward to this. It's yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be good. Thank you so much for honoring the invitation. Hey, thank you for having me. My privilege. 
All right, brilliant. Well, the second guest, we need to pick him up. He's no stranger to us. Uh, a bishop, an apostle, a prophetic voice in our time. Um, fondly known and loved by many, known as the business bishop. Um, I absolutely love his intellect and the wisdom he brings to so many, many conversations. A dear friend to the um, overseer, the senior pastor, the metropolitan of all House on the Rock, Pastor Paul Adifarasi. Um, it's such an honor to have him in this conversation tonight. I'm happy to be able to also call him a dear friend and um, also a brother. Please receive with me the business bishop himself, Bishop Wayne Malcolm. <laughs> oh, what a warm introduction. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor Temi. Uh, always, always an honor pleasure and privilege to be in your fine company, even by this uh, digital platform. And of course, always, always an honor, pleasure and privilege to be in the company of Reverend Israel, my dear brother from another. Uh, so I really feel at home tonight, looking forward to the discussion. Absolutely awesome. I, I'm, I feel like I'm in rare fair here right now. <laughs> Um, a bishop on one side, a reverend on the other side, and me, of course, an older boy. You know? <laughs> um, it, it's absolutely great to have both of you honor this invitation and be on here. And I trust that God is going to help us to be a blessing um, to those that have tuned in. Um, just by way of recap, um, I'm going to quickly run through a little bit of the ground that we covered this month in our midweek service. Um, and that is to on on the subject of decoding times and seasons. In laying a foundation, I first spoke about the sons of Issachar. The sons of Issachar were men that had an understanding of the times, and I guess that is really where we're going to start with the conversation today. Um, the fact that the sons of Issachar, because they had an understanding of the time, they knew what Israel ought to do, and they had people under their command. And there is a need for modern day spiritual sons of Issachar to once again arise in the midst of us. Yes. Um, so this is this is important for us to um, understand. Then we, we, we started debating or looking deeply into this subject of the times and seasons we are living in. Uh, what times of se and seasons are we living in? What are we meant to do with those times and seasons? Yes. Um, and that's really what we want to delve in today. Uh, what are we meant to be doing? How are we meant to navigate these times and these seasons? Um, so I'm going to very quickly concede the floor, open up the floor um, to either one of you to share whatever you want to share briefly with us on the, on the sons of Issachar and what distinguished them and how their mention in the word of God is relevant to us today as believers. Modern day sons of Issachar. Um, I think Reverend Israel should go first. <laughs> Humbly disagree, Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> if I may be as bold as to say, no, my Lord. <laughs> um, I, I think 
I think I think I think we 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 should hear from you, sir, as the as the statesman on the panel. You're so cool. You're so good. That was good. All right. So, uh, you know, the sons of Issachar in um, the men who had understanding of the times and knew what Israel ought to do, um, you know, they were part of David's, David's army that uh, came to David at Hebron. I think the most important feature is that, you know, there were not many in number. There were about 200 of them. Um, but all their brethren were at their command. And I think that's the most significant piece, is that uh, when it comes to your strategy, your military strategy, your fighting strategy, your dominion strategy, it has to be enlightened, it has to be informed. And um, it can only be informed by people who understand what's actually going on at a spiritual level. And so the people who do understand the times, what time they're in, uh, are going to instinctively know what to do. And people who don't understand what time they're in will play the old game, uh, not realizing that the goalposts have, have moved. And um, they, they will experience losses even in their wins. And uh, I guess there, there are many modern uh, uh, applications to that. Uh, for example, in, in our day, uh, the pandemic has accelerated the inevitable and we have now moved into a new technological era and a new economic era. I guess people playing by the old rules um, are losing even in their wins because the goalposts have moved, the game has changed. And um, and therefore, uh, they're going to be stuck as to, well, you know, where do we go from here? What to do next? Uh, whereas some others who are not as emotionally and financially and intellectually invested in where we were um, are, are able to, to nurture creativity and innovations, to, to read what's happening, to ride the wave rather than resist it. And... Um, and so I think that uh, those seers among us um, are destined to, to inform our strategy, our behavior, and they, their brethren will always be at their command because uh, yeah. of their insight and foresight. I pause. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop. Reverend Israel. Awesome. Um, wow. How do you follow that? Um, okay, so to avoid repeating what Bishop has said already, let me take it down this, this line. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that God spent a while, spent three days in creation. Actually, before he gets there, when he starts creating, he meets a formless and shapeless mass called the earth. Uh, the Hebrew word is tohu vabohu. It means it's nothingness and complete chaos all at the same time. And the first thing he does is he calls for light. In essence, he calls for insight, wisdom, his essence. God is light. And then the next thing he does is very interesting. He then says that 
that light is going to be separated or the world from then on is going to this chaos is going to be separated into what has this light and what does not have the light so day night light dark so in essence he draws himself and the understanding and reception of who and what he is and what he's doing and then he makes a very clear demarcation between that and everything else in essence he's saying this is me this is my nature like bishop was saying not the expressions that flicker from time to time this is the reality of everything i am and everything i am about and he makes a clear demarcation you either have it or you don't your day or your night he then from that point on begins to regulate uh, the systems of life and the seasons and the times based on first of all that intrinsic light itself and then secondly based on the reflection of that light through the moon and the stars and then he gets to chapter verse 14 he says let them be for signs meaning for communicating things to get your attention so let the flickering evening and morning the movements from complete darkness to complete light and where you are in between let them get your attention as signs let them be for what the bible calls seasons which actually in the hebrew means appointments it means let them let you know when i have an appointment with you the word is moadim we use that word to describe things like pentecost passover atonement but it literally means appointment he then says let them be for days and for years the hebrew word day yom literally means jesus said i must work while it is day it could be more than 24 hours it means a space of time in which i god am up to a certain redemptive purpose and then years the word for years sine means generations in essence like bishop said god is literally saying this let the clarity or lack thereof of where i am and what i'm doing get your attention let you know when i have appointments with you in the earth and delineate your understanding of what i'm up to and what it means for your generation so when you get to what bishop said which was so apt about the sons of issachar it makes complete sense that if you understand how to get if you understand what god is trying to get your attention about based on the clarity or lack thereof of his agenda and you understand where you are in terms of his appointment with the earth if you understand seasons and times moadims and appointments meaning oh, appointment sorry and redemptive purpose one not only are you going to maximize what god is doing secondly those who don't will be at your command meaning the rest of us who don't understand how to get these messages from the spirit realm strictly based on the understanding of how much we know or don't know about what God is doing. Are we moving from when at a time when something was clear into when it's not or vice versa? And so those of us who, like Bishop said, are too emotionally invested, uh, financially invested, spiritually invested, organizationally invested in the last light to get the message that the light is fading so another light can rise, we'll miss the boat, we'll miss the appointment, We'll miss the understanding of what God is doing, and we'll be playing catch-up to those who do. And I'm going to pause here like Bishop said. That's why Moses cried out and he said, Lord, teach me to number my days. Help me to understand where I am per time in that pattern 
so I can align with it. Wow, wow, wow. I'm quite sure that the listeners can already sense the quality of the guests that are on tonight, the quality and the depth. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be pretty simple. <laughs> Um, and and of the way I see the Bible a lot of the time is just quite simple equations that um, if we understand and decipher, it starts to make a lot of sense. So in the, in, in the statement about the sons of Issachar, it says that um, they had an understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do, meaning that your understanding or right discernment of the time um, informs you as regards what you are meant to be doing um and then it says had other people the people at their command and just like you, you you've both said when you also have an understanding of the time it puts you in authority it puts power in your hands it makes people listen to you yeah um so the sons of Issachar were preoccupied with a particular question and that question was what time is it and when i sound the clarion call that we need modern day spiritual sons of Issachar I think the question we need to be preoccupied with is what time is it? We've been living in very interesting, challenging, and many people call them uncertain times in the last 18 months, even up till now. Seismic changes have taken place all over the globe. Um, so we are faced with that question once again. What time is it? And I, and I don't know what... Your thoughts are what your discernment of the times that we are living in. What time is it? Will Reverend Israel go first this time? All right. Um, hmm. Again, I, I really, brother. I thought I thought you and I were 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 thick as thieves. Why are you doing this to me? I I you know. I want to be able to pick it back up the bishop. Um, but what time is it? Um, it depends on who you are. And without trying to sound contrarian, it depends on what time it was for you in the last season. So I'll give you an example. If you are a nursing mother, or if you are a mother, when a baby is born, the time it is is to nurse your baby. If you are the baby when you're born, the time is to be nursed. So uh, what time it is, first of all, starts with what time are you coming from? Uh, if you're coming from obscurity, this is the time for manifestation. If you're coming from manifestation, it could, and I stress, it could be the time for obscurity. Or it's the time to consolidate that manifestation and begin to want apply it to a new season or bring other people into the light and the benefit of it. You, you, you'd have to be very honest to understand that God is shaking stuff in the world we are in today. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, that the things that can be shaken will remain he then says, having received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us receive or let us uh, serve God with fear and godly reverence. So the, the objective question is, it's the time 
for the manifestation of the kingdom of God that cannot be shaken. And when I say kingdom, I know this is a, this is a midweek service. I know the three of us on here are ministers and pastors. I know everybody's going to be quick to hear it through the lens of a church mindset. But I literally just mean the government of God on the earth that was designed to start from the church and, like Bishop would like to tell us, enter the arena of life. In essence, politics, business, family, everything. It is time for God to start to reveal and enforce the sovereignty and authority of his kingdom in every part of life and reality. In essence, the gloves are off, the rehearsals are over. God is saying it's time to move. And so what time it is for you depends on how in sync you were with that real agenda. Were you in kindergarten, Sunday school? Were you in university, technical school? Were you walking in the agenda already and just needed some things uh, tweaked? Were you crouched and ready to go, with the full understanding, and you just needed the light shone on you? Or were you a part of the old system? And again, I'm talking past church. This applies to the world as a whole in every arena God has an agenda for. Were you a part of the old system that might have had a form of godliness, might have looked the part, but denied the power thereof? In which case, then, you should be worried. Because, in essence, how much of what you were and who you were is in the category of the things that can be shaken or the things that cannot be shaken? And then, finally, to answer the question before the bishop makes me sound like a, like a toddler is <laughs> whatever part of the spectrum you fall on, it would be the time to assess what part of the spectrum you fall on. In essence, whether you are in the side of what can be shaken or what can't be shaken or you're somewhere in between, wisdom would suggest that if we understand that God is allowing and ordaining and initiating a shaking that is designed to purge dross and leave the reality of what he wants, it would be a good time to go like David and said, search me, try me, and see if there be any evil way. The Hebrew word for evil in that scripture doesn't necessarily mean I'm doing something morally wicked. It literally means any way that doesn't line up with you. So David is saying, Lord, you have an agenda. I think I'm walking with you as best I can, whether I'm a minister or a nursing mother. Sit with me and show me how much of an alignment my life, my affairs, my paradigms, my perspectives, and my expenditure of resource, opportunities, or effort. Show me how much of an alignment there is with that and the purity of what you are and what you're calling for. If there is any disalignment, show me and help me purge it before you have to. Show me where my foundations lie. Show me where I'm building on rock or sand. And let me make the adjustment proactively before the waves of lifetime and your purpose sweep me away. I'll, I'll pause there. Absolutely awesome thoughts. Um, deep, deep thoughts right there. I, I love the things that you've shared. I, I like to say that um, there's individual time and there's corporate time. I, I think part of what you were sharing right at the beginning was the fact that each one of us actually has an individual time clock. You know, 
I'm at, I might be at a different stage of time in my life from the stage of time of life that you are in or that somebody else is in. So we all have a different time clock in that context, which is where it becomes unwise to compare ourselves with ourselves because that person might be at a different stage in his time clock from my mm. time clock. yeah but there's also what we call corporate time which is an overarching concept of time over all of us even though i might have been at a different time state in my life we're still within the same corporate time and my preoccupation at this time as much as we must be interested and each one of us in answering the question what time is it it is need to answer it for ourselves what time is it for me there also has to be uh, an understanding of how does that align with god's bigger time clock the corporate time clock uh, of the of the globe of the world of the prophecies of scripture mm. what time is it bishop hey hey well, first, let me say that I just so enjoy listening to Reverend Israel that um, he could have taken much more time and uh, we'd all be blessed. And uh, these are some real gems and nuggets. And I think everyone who's tuned in, like you're already blessed, right? You're already blessed. Um, so uh, I want to answer the question what time it is by, by first um, uh, repeating a prophetic word that God gave to me uh, several years ago, and I've pretty much traveled with that word in one um, expression or another. It's a word that pretty much uh, runs through every every sermon that I preach on, on, on the road in my, my apostolic role as, as the business vision. Um, and, and it was this, you know, the, the Lord showed me that a, a wave of the Holy Spirit is, is preparing a remnant in the body of Christ for sudden promotions to key positions of social significance, influence, and leadership. And uh, from their positions, uh, they would uh, intercept the enemy mm. and they would uh, influence the direction of nations and advance the kingdom of God in unprecedented ways. Now, uh, if I were to break that down, probably starts with a wave of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Bible says the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, so that the Holy Spirit moves in waves. These are waves of consciousness, uh, which begin as waves of revelation. And when, when a new wave of revelation sweeps across the body of Christ, it meets with initial resistance and it has to be interrogated by all of the academics and the theologians uh, but it eventually becomes a wave of consciousness and so we can identify in church history various waves uh, certainly prayer waves the praise and worship movement uh, was a wave of consciousness uh, the latter rain healing movements uh, were, were waves and so uh, but this wave was preparing a remnant in the body of Christ. In other words, not everyone, but but a, a chosen uh, a chosen few, which could amount to many millions, uh, considering the size of the body of Christ. But a remnant for sudden promotions to key positions of social, 
um, that is whether city, regional, or national social significance uh, means people are watching you. Uh, uh, influence means people are listening to you. And leadership means people are following you. So that we would see born again, spirit-filled, blood-bought, tongue-talking people uh, occupying elite positions in society in which they are being watched, they are being listened to, and they are being followed. And of course, there are biblical models for this throughout the anthology of, of, of truth. Joseph perhaps being uh, my favorite because it is so detailed, so much attention is given to him. But uh, he fulfilled the prophecy of Jacob, his father, who said, Joseph is a fruitful bough and his branch has gone over the wall. The suggestion is that though Joseph is firmly planted in his Hebrew monotheistic faith, his branch, which is where his fruits are, would go over the wall and he would feed Gentiles. Now, he's a model of what I saw prophetically, that many believers are actively being prepared. And so I thought about that preparation. What is the preparation? It really mm. is a wave of consciousness, a wave of revelation and consciousness that I believe constitutes a spiritual migration, okay? A spiritual migration. We know we're familiar with migrations in the animal kingdom. We're even familiar of tribal migrations. For whatever reasons, people leave a hostile environment to find more fertile and, uh, uh, and, and prosperous environments. But spiritually, the, the, the people of God have migrated, right? Several times in the scriptures. Uh, Abraham to start with, you know, uh, from Ur of the Chaldees to the land of promise. The very Exodus is the story of a migration. And so I believe that that right now the the Holy Spirit is is leading a mass migration, a global migration of believers from the religious corner to the center of their societies, okay? And um, I could call it the commercial centers, but I think that that word commercial uh, has limited implications. But there are centers of society there and politics and business are part of the center of society, but so are the instruments that, that create culture such as the media or education. These are parts of the center of society. And, um, and there is a spiritual migration from the religious corner to that. Now, what does that look like in reality? And I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up like this. It means that uh, God is abolishing the, the culture of the theater that the church had become. The culture of a theater means that you have an audience and you have actors, right, on the stage. In fact, the way our churches are shaped, they're shaped in that way, that you have performers on the stage and everyone watches them. And we decide how good our church is by how great the performance is. 
uh, whether it's the singers, whether it's the preachers, whatever it is, but the audience is passive. They are passive uh, observers, typically. And God is abolishing that systematically through certain waves of consciousness. The first wave of consciousness is recovering the priesthood of all believers so that every believer comes into the consciousness of their priesthood and their kingship uh, in Christ, that this, this realization that I have ministry, I have purpose, I have destiny. That's a wave of consciousness sweeping across the body of Christ. The problem with that wave of consciousness and the conflict with that wave is that we defined ministry as something we do on Sunday in church on the stage. So mm -hmm. we've got a lot of people competing for a place on the stage without realizing that the world is your stage, that where you are deployed, uh, typically through your career, your profession, or your business, or your interests, your initiatives, your social action and activity, um, that God wants to use you as mightily there as your preacher is used on a Sunday in the pulpit. So what we're now seeing is people regarding their career as a calling, regarding their profession as prophetic, regarding their, their work as spiritual warfare. They are now beginning to realize that, that they are being used of God Monday through, you know, Monday through Friday. And therefore it is time, in terms of what time it is, it is time to mobilize and activate the potential of our pews in society. And that's what I believe God is up to. That's what I believe believe, uh, believe that all believers can feel stirring within themselves. Uh, that's the wave of consciousness and the wave of revelation um, to take ordinary members out of the bandstand of spectating and into the arena as a part, an active participator in the kingdom agenda. I pause. Thank you, Bishop. Um, absolutely great word, great revelation, absolutely on point and prophetic as always. I'm blessed and I'm, I'm sure the people are blessed also. Um, what time, what time is it? And um, it's, it's the time to move out from the corners, move center stage. Uh, it's the time for the pews to be empowered and deployed. <laughs> to move from being spectators to be fully participators. I'm absolutely blessed by the, the thought uh, and the truth that the church for too long was theater. So the, the, the pews come to watch the performance. Um, while the church was always meant to be the boot camp where the few is trained to go and take the stage, my members can reach people I could never reach. I'm able to enter sectors of society that I cannot um, enter. And when we don't have that culture of deploying the few, what happens is that there becomes a competition within church on the mm -hmm. church stage thinking that that's the pinnacle. That's what all of us are supposed to be trying to get to. And we've seen the kind of problem that creates in church. Yeah. Um, but it's time for the paradigm to shift and for us to, to, to deploy the pew to 
get into the world. And this is a profound thought for me because when we've been talking about the last times in this decoding times and days and the question does arise that I wanted to hear your thoughts on that are we in the last times indeed? Are these the end times? Uh, especially in the light of the fact that even the apostles while writing the New Testament literally thought that they were in the last of the last days. And that's 2,000 years ago. So, <laughs> so how do we know that these are the last days? Uh, if these are the last days, what are we meant to be doing? But jumping a little bit ahead of myself, immediately after Jesus finishes giving us all these signs of the last times in Matthew chapter 24, the next series of parables are all about being busy. He talks about the parable of the talents. He talks about the parable of the um, um, ten wise virgins, ten foolish virgins. They're all parables that talk about being busy, that talk about occupying. So rather than the signs of the time becoming acute to be looking for a great escape, which in times past the church has seem to emphasize that there's a great escape out of all the troubles of the world, Jesus says that, okay, I've told you all about that, but guess what you're meant to do? You're meant to occupy. And when we look at the word occupy, the connections and the ramifications of the meaning of that word occupy is, is profound. From the word occupy, we get the word occupation. The word that the, the Greek word that's translated, translated occupy is actually talking about doing business, engaging in in commerce, <laughs> say occupy till I come, multiply, utilize what I've given you. And it does suggest, just like Bishop has emphasized, a, a transactions not taking place in the spiritual um, safety of the church, but actually in the, in, the, in the marketplace. I've sent you out as sheep amongst wolves. Be as wise as serpents, yet as gentle as doves. These are the times we live in. Um, and we've got to occupy. I think that's the call to believers at this particular point in time. It is to occupy, to fill up space. And just like Bishop often prophesies, vacancies are being created. We've got to be positioned and ready to occupy, to take up um, that space. I don't know whether um, Reverend Israel has some other thoughts to add to, to this. Um, I do, actually, um, which is why I, I think this will flow a lot smoothly if you always let Bishop go first and then I can, <laughs> I can pick up. After. But jokes apart, um, similar to Bishop's, because uh, Bishop's actually shared that, uh, that word God gave him with us at our conference two years ago. Uh, and I feel like, interestingly, you know, I'm glad for people like him around. I feel like I'm walking that same journey behind um, because I also have a word that God's, that's guiding this last season of my ministry. And it's this, I created an earth, I put a royal priesthood called Adam and then Eve in it at a nexus point called Eden between heaven and earth. Eden was both a garden and a mountain, the Bible tells us. 
And my agenda was I needed a consecrated king priest to do business, govern the garden for me. When he fell out of alignment with me and was disqualified to be my priest, chaos broke out. And I've spent the whole, I'm talking, when I say I, I'm speaking from God's perspective. And I've spent the whole of eternity since constantly looking for a man, a woman, a lineage, a nation, a tribe, a people who can play that role. And so in essence, what time it is in that regard is the time it's always been. God is looking for human vessels who can be king priests like Melchizedek, not Aaron, not sacrifices in a temple, but a king with a domain, Salem, that he is governing from an altar on God's behalf. And to do that, like Bishop said, we've got to move away from the theater of you are the Aaronic priest it is your job to do the spiritual sacrifices and let's get about with the agriculture, the politics and everything else. No, God is saying, I need men and women who would be just as successful if I called them to full-time ministry. In essence, they're no less anointed, no less gifted, no less spiritual. They don't pray any less. They don't read their Bible any less. It just so happens that they have a governmental sphere. I saw one of our uh, sisters saying uh, she, her stage is faith-based movie-making. Great. So that's your church. That's your temple. That's your altar. And you are a king of it, meaning you will give account to God for what happens under your domain. So if Hollywood goes the wrong way, it's your... I'm, I'm not attacking you, first lady. I'm just giving an example. If I was, in essence, Hollywood goes wrong, that's my fault. If the movie industry is perverse, that's my fault. It's my responsibility. However, I'm going to govern it from an altar. I am going to have the perspective that my job is to be consistently or sufficiently, sorry, aligned with heaven, sufficiently surrendered to heaven, sufficiently focusing on the priority of what heaven wants. And there is nothing heaven wants to get into that sphere of life that it cannot get through me if it so chooses. And that destroys the entire model of church and ministry that has existed for the last almost century. One of the horrible things that came out of the Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, and the Associate Re uh, Charismatic Renewal since, like Bishop said, was, and it really came to a head in the 70s, the 80s, when we had great women and men like Amy Simple, Mark First, and the rest of them, and then Catherine Kuhlman, who literally became such a, a beacon of light that the rest of the church said, y'all handle that, that's beautiful. You guys do that, right? And we'll just drink at your brook while we live normal life. And slowly and surely, over the last hundred years, there's been a, a concentration of the need for consecration in a select few. The reward has been notoriety, fame, adulation, people honoring, quote unquote, us. It's also been a narcissistic perspective where 
the church now wants to congregate around that one altar, dance around it, quote unquote, keep itself pure, while pointing at a world on the way to hell and shouting, y'all are going to hell. God's answer was, or so, was supposed to be, a generation, a tribe of royal priests where every believer, every believer understands the reason I didn't go to heaven when I got saved was there is work for me to do on the earth. And the only way to sufficiently do that work without falling into the same trap as I'm shouting you're going to hell from is to be a priest, to, have, to be an altar, to be the priest, and to be the daily sacrifice on that altar where my life is that surrendered with no pretenses, no agendas, no priorities other than thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And whatever I can enjoy about the good life in the overflow of that, bless God. And I'm of the opinion, whether, you, whether it's COVID, economic calamity, and all these things, and I'm on record over the last four or five years of giving horrible prophecy after horrible prophecy about all these things coming. This is God saying, can we get back to the original agenda? I am going to damage or allow damage to everything that does not explicitly arise from that agenda. I'm going to show you the difference between the purity of that agenda and the expressions of the agenda that you have now idolized above the agenda. And so it is time for us to go back and say, God, what's the agenda? That's the content. What are the bottles and containers which, even though they served us well in the previous season, have become at risk of being idolized above the content? And when we can fully identify and recommit to the content, God can then begin to allow us to use fresh containers as necessary to serve that content again. And I stress the content is a lineage of kingdom priests in the body of Christ that are qualified and trained, discipled, with the perspective of, I have a territory to govern, and I must do it from an altar of personal and then corporate consecration. Mm. Well, wow, 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 right on point. Great, 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 great stuff. Great, great words here. Um, it's time for the manifestation of the sons of God, and we are all meant to be sons of God, and the whole world is waiting for that manifestation. The word of God is quite clear on that in the, in the book of Romans. Now, these things that we are talking about, I wanted to ask a question. It's interesting. I'm just letting the conversation flow as it would. Um, a number of questions have been submitted uh, from our life groups, and I'm not even really able to touch any of them. <laughs> and I think a number of those questions are being answered. And my heart, really, in this conversation was really about how to bring the conversation home to the people, how to give them real answers for now, as opposed, you know, some people are interested in um, theological answers to things, which is not necessarily bad. Oh, when is the rapture going to happen? When is the tribulation? This, that, and the other. But some of those answers are not relevant to what I'm meant to be doing right now, <laughs> you know, and uh, open to a lot of, of, of debate. Well, the question I want to ask, already we've put a lot of emphasis on 
the need for us to occupy, the need for us to be kings and priests in the world and not just in the church and all of that. How do we marry that call of occupation, of um, center stage, of dominion with the theology of the rapture, <coughs> rapture of the church? Um, how do we marry that? Where does the rapture fit into? Um, because some people will counter what we are saying with, hey, it looks like you guys aren't planning to ever go to <laughs> go to heaven or, or get raptured. You guys are talking about your dominion. I mean, your dominion message seems to be we're here forever. Um, and there's never going to be a rapture. There's never going to be a second coming. The second coming has already happened. It's happening in us and through us right now, you know. So how do we marry that? What did we get wrong with the rapture theology? And how do we marry that with the clear, confirmed emphasis that we have from the Spirit right now? I think I want the bishop to give this, give me this one. This one. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> oh, wow and wow. So I should disclose before, before I answer that question that um, at the earliest stage of my ministry, I was uh, known as an end-time prophecy uh, preacher. So I uh, published an international magazine that went into several countries on uh, the end times. And um, I knew some of the gurus um, at, at the time who, who were publishing uh, in, interesting works on the end times. Uh, visited Jerusalem several times, uh, been under the Temple uh, Mount, looking for the Ark of the Covenant, uh, uh, been to the Temple Institute and seen the reconstructed um, instruments for the resumption of blood sacrifices, the priest garments being woven without seam according to the, the scriptural mandates, spoken with the uh, people behind the Third Temple Movement. I subscribed to all of the international publications, The Economist, um, The Jerusalem Post, and um, uh, I was talking about Illuminatis and secret societies before anyone had ever heard the word. Um, wrote some books on the subject and I was absolutely obsessed with the end time scenario as presented by the Bible School and by the likes of Hal Lindsey, Graf Jeffrey, um, uh, many of the guys who, who, who were formidable voices in the space. Um, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of people that came to Christ in my ministry in the early days, and again, I'm just, uh, it's little context, um, perhaps the context will be longer than the, than the comment, but uh, it, the content is, 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 is necessary. Um, a lot of people that got, got uh, saved in my ministry got saved in, in what we called prophecy crusades. So I would bring slides and um, uh, transparencies to, to literally show the fulfillment of these prophecies. Um, um, I, I remember when, um, uh, when uh, Spain and Portugal joined the EU, uh, which was wasn't actually the EU at the time, 
and uh, we were going to have these ten toes of the image. Um, I looked at the fact that 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 Russia had formed alliances uh, with certain nations that were threatening to invade Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, there, there were just many times at which it looked like this scenario that we had created in Bible school and in these books mm -hmm. was pass. And it got so bad that one guy even wrote a book that's called 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Come by 1988. Mm. Okay. And uh, the, the, his thesis was that the generation that sees the rebirth of, of Israel will not pass till everything else has been fulfilled. And his idea was, well, a generation is 40 years. And... Um, and 1948, Israel, um, you know, becomes a nation under yeah. David, David Ben Gurion, right? But David, you know, I'll bring you back under David. They're quoting all the prophecies. <laughs> they said, um, and they said, you know, the generation will not. So he wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Come by 1988. Well, 1988 came and, and it went. <laughs> and and that particular author had 88 eggs on his face, right? But it was quite easy to switch it up and say, oh, actually, actually, it's not the generation that sees the rebirth of Israel that won't pass. It's the generation that sees Jerusalem re under the control of the people. And that happened in 67. So the idea was Jesus would come by the year 2000 which would leave seven years for the tribulation period, 40 years after 1967, would give us 2007. Jesus would come by the year 2000, and then you'd have seven years for the tribulation. And what happened, year 2000? Well, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't come back, did he? <laughs> <laughs> Not the way they were expecting. I mean, some were so desperately disorientated by that, they started reporting, oh, well, he did come back. We just didn't see him, you know. He, he, <laughs> you know there were sightings, right? And so uh, I had already begun a review of my position before 2000 uh, because God asked me a question, right? Or he gave me a challenge. The challenge was, he said to me, I'll never forget this. I wrote about it in one of my books. He said, look for me in the prophecies. And I would like, um, I get it. Because, you know, God speaks to us in a language that we personally understand. And I understood what that meant, because up until that point, I could see the devil in everything. I could see the devil in Russia, China, uh, Israel, Europe, uh, uh, money, uh, credit cards, wallpaper. I could see the devil in absolutely everything. And God said, look for me in the prophecies. And I realized that I had created a scenario of the end time that made the devil infinitely bigger than God. And I realized that something was wrong with my theology, that if I looked into the future and I could mm. see a bigger devil than I could see God and his glory, that I was looking through the wrong lens or that I was misinformed. So I went back to the drawing board and began revisiting eschatology, looking for the glory of God, not looking for the mark of the beast, the, the one world government, the one world religion, the one world, because I'd spent years kind of mastering that particular craft. And so I came out of it <laughs> with a certain set of beliefs, <laughs> which I don't mind sharing with you tonight. 
okay? <laughs> and you, you, you understand that there are three basic types of millennialist, right? So there's, there's what we were taught in the Bible school was premillennialism, which is that Christ comes, um, takes the church out of the world for seven years, comes back with the church, conquers the Antichrist, and ushers in a thousand years, which is the millennium, a thousand years of his reign and of his rule. Premillennialism. Then there's amillennialism, which is the belief that the millennium is a metaphor and is not defined by human times and seasons, etc., etc., and should not be interpreted literally. And then there's postmillennialism, which is the belief that Christ actually returns after the thousand years, and that the thousand years is is the kingdom conquering the, the the kingdoms of this world, becoming the kingdoms of our Lord. That He's actually it's it's a it's a it's a, a Christian era, so to speak. And so I decided to add a fourth to that, and it's called pan, <laughs> it's called pan millennialism. Right? <laughs> and, and that's what I am. Too. I'm a pan millennialist because I believe it will all pan out in the end. <laughs> okay, that's, that, that's 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 the position that I've taken. So I've seen the error of being dogmatic when it comes to the future, and I'm just going to close with this prophecies in the futuristic prophecy in the bible was mm. written to help us predict the future none of it was it was written to help us understand the present and the past not the future when it comes to the future you see through a glass darkly you're looking through a misty window you are never going to have accuracy when it comes to the future uh but the prophecies are written so you can understand the past. And this is really quick. I'm going to do this real, real quick. When it comes to the birth of Jesus, you got three prophecies in the Old Testament. One says he's coming out of Bethlehem. Another says he's coming out of Egypt. And another suggests he may be coming out of Nazareth. If you tried to predict where the Christ was coming from uh, before it happened, you would have come up with three denominations fighting each other, refusing to fellowship with each other, blocking everyone's conferences, right? But only when it happened, when he was born, Matthew said, this, these happened that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying. And so what it turned out was he was born in Bethlehem. He was evacuated into Egypt and came out of Egypt and settled in Nazareth so that he fulfilled all three. Mm -hmm. uh, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. In other words, what Joel prophesied could not help you predict the future in any specific sense, but it could help you understand your present. So the key is that when the Bible gives a futuristic prophecy, your thing is to look for its uh, unfolding in your present rather than to develop a dogmatic picture of what is going to happen in the future because you're always going to be wrong because the Bible is so profound, the wisdom of God is so profound, it's like an onion. There's a layer under the layer, under the layer, under the layer. 
it, it's, it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, which means that the same message can have multiple applications to multiple generations in multiple locations. Because if the book of Revelation doesn't mean something to every generation and location of Christians, then it doesn't mean anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Then we've, we've had a vacant book for a period of time. The fact is that there is a reason why the apostles believed they were in the end time. Because the scriptures brought comfort to them in their experience. The book of Revelation, they could see it all happening around them. And uh, there are many historicists who study Revelation and say the whole thing played out in the Roman Empire. The whole thing. Yeah. And I'm sure it did. And I'm sure it also played out during the Second World War. I'm sure it played out during everything because it's so wise that there is comfort mm. and direction for every generation in every location where there is an end of a time. So... Wow. The end time, right? Uh, be confused with the end of a time, and there are multiple ends of times. <laughs> and whenever you are in the transition of the end of a time, revelation will comfort you, it will speak to you, you will see it all happening around you. But as for that day and that hour, I reach the conclusion when uh you know in my revision that jesus was right <laughs> when he said mm. of that day and of that hour knoweth mm. no man <laughs> i came to the conclusion that what we called signs of the end jesus said they were not signs of the end watch it now he said you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations shall rise against nation. See that you be not troubled. The end is not yet. Yes. He then says, for kingdom shall rise against kingdom and da 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 da. These are the beginning. <laughs> so why did we call them signs of the end when he said the end is not yet and this is the beginning of birth pains? which is the contractions signifying the arrival of a new thing, which I think is the order of Melchizedek, as uh, 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 prophet Israel has said, it is the birth of a people. But I'm entitled to think that, because I can't, no one proved me wrong till we're well off in the future. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Bishop! Bishop! Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Absolutely profound. I mean, it just resonates with me, and I'm quite sure it resonates with um, um, Reverend Israel too. Uh, just, just absolutely um, on point, and it answers quite a few questions that people have. Mm. Them, I've said that there's a divine reset in motion, and in fact, what has happened during the pandemic and the lockdown. As much as God is not the cause, but He allowed it, and He's well able to use it, and indeed has used it, and He's using it to reset us. It's making us reset our theology, it's making us reset our priorities, 
a lot of what we've been speaking about today, our times have had made us have to go back and say, okay, we've got something wrong. <laughs> we've got to mm -hmm. review what we thought we we had down, <clears throat> you know. Um, and God is moving us. Um, God is is there's a switch taking place. Um, revelation is progressive, and God line upon line, precept upon precept, here little, there little, a mighty edifice is being um, is being built, um, and yet a dynamic enough edifice to continue to accommodate the moves of God. What happens in the church a lot of the time is that we get something and we build a whole mon mon monument around it and so rigid, unable to accommodate the new. We become old wineskins. And God will not pour new wine into old wineskins, so he demands that the old wineskin needs to be changed into new wineskins that are pliable, that are able to accommodate what God wants to do and what God is already doing. Um, absolutely phenomenal words. I don't know, um, Reverend Israel, want to add a few more words before... <laughs> try to move this thing forward <laughs> um i see the truth of the matter is i don't okay let me try because i don't want to mess up what bishop just built um first of all i appreciate the uh the uh what's what i'm looking for now the biography because bishop i had no idea about that i know you've alluded to me in the past that we there were some conversations we were going to have to tell me about I did, so thanks for laying that out and it, it, it makes more sense now as soon as you said pan millennial i knew exactly where you were going that's why i took off my glasses and pretended to throw them because i've always when people have asked me uh do you, are you a pre-trib mean pre-tribulation mid-tribulation and post-tribulation or post-tribulation rapture believer my example has always been when it comes if it comes i'll be ready mm. And let me try and summarize what you just said in a slightly different language. Going back to my first point about the Bible talking about uh, the lights, meaning revelation and seasons being for, sorry, seasons, times, days, and years. The word seasons is the word Moadim. So when Jesus says the, se the time or the day, no man knows. The word time in the Greek is the Greek equivalent in the Septuagint, those who follow me know I keep talking about the Septuagint, it's the Old Testament in Greek. It's a very useful tool for Bible study because it lets you know what the equivalent word in the New Testament is to a word in the Old. So when you read the Old Testament in Greek, whatever the Greek word was used for that Old Testament word, which was originally in Hebrew, you can then compare Old and New, and it starts to show you how over half of the New Testament are the writers telling you this is what the Old Testament writer meant when he said this same thing. So when Jesus says the time, no man knows, it's the same word, Moadim. In the Greek, kairos, it means appointment. Now, those are the words used for the feasts of the Lord, what we call, we've just gone through three of them in quick succession. Uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, or really Yom Kippurim, plural, Days of Atonement, and then uh, Sukkot, Tabernacles. And most, most prophetic believers understand that these were prophetic shadows of things God did in Israel's time. He first did something to initiate it, then he, he instructed Israel to observe it, 
and that this feast will be fulfilled in the Messiah's first or second coming. We all understand that. Now let's apply to what Bishop just said. Well, let's take Passover, for instance, the first of the feasts. There was a Passover in Egypt. So there was an event that was the Passover. That was a metaphor. God then tells Israel, every year on this day, I want you to celebrate the Passover. So there are successive rehearsals of the event. And then there will be a fine, or there was now a final manifestation when Jesus came and died as a Passover lamb. So like Bishop said, there was Passover in Egypt. There was Passover in the wilderness. There was Passover first temple. Passover uh, uh, slavery and, and captivity. And then there was a time and an event where Jesus came. And when he was alive, no Hebrew would have told you that we know that's the guy who's going to go on that cross and fulfill the Passover. The Bible says not even principalities and powers knew. For if they knew, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So God is very adept at hiding his plans in plain sight, such that even spirit entities who've lived for millions of years, they understand where he's going, but they can't quite figure it out. It's the same thing with every other appointment of God. Like Bishop said, if you study eschatology, we have three or four classes of people. They're the preterists, those who believe the book of Revelation has already happened. They're the futurists, those who believe it will happen. I've, I'm not sure what to call the third group who believe some have happened and some will happen. And then I'm going to call myself a panterist, like Bishop just did, which is... <laughs> The will of God is constantly evolving per time and per season. And the way the New Testament writers interpreted prophecy was to say, this is that. Not this will be that. In yeah. essence, prophecy is a lens to understand what has happened in light of what God said. The sons of Nisaka understood seasons and times and what Israel ought to do. In essence, right now lines up with that piece of the puzzle. This is what I should do right now. Not to try and predict, and thank God for people like Bishop, I've just never had the brain space to try and predict. And that's why, especially in the last few years when a bunch of prophets were getting their panties in a bunch about certain things, I was screaming saying, can we stop trying to fit prophecy to our own perception and lens of view and just accept history as it unfolds? And as it unfolds, look to prophecy to understand what God meant. Every prophet worth his salt would tell you several times when God even gives us a clear word, we don't know when it's coming. We only know when it has happened. And then we can say, that's what God was showing me. So for the believer looking for the rapture, this is my answer. It's happened, it's happening, and it will happen. There was a rapture with Enoch. There was a rapture with Elijah, right? Uh, there was a rapture with Jesus. There has been a consistent rapture throughout. The word twinkling of an eye in that verse means with the changing of our perception. That's one of the original meanings of that word. At the twinkling of an eye, the mm. trumpet will sound. Mm. Mm. There will be, Jesus says, 
Or Paul says, if the trumpet doesn't make a clear sound, who shall prepare for war? And the dead in Christ, those who have died to themselves and be hidden in Christ, will rise first, will emerge into the fullness of God's purpose, and then everybody else will follow. There is a rapture going on as we speak. There is a generation of men and women who by the twinkling of their eyes, the shifting of our perspectives and our focuses are being captured, caught up is the word, caught up into what God is doing. And I believe at some point, there will be a final, the same way there was a Passover, then there were several Passovers, and then there was the final Passover. At some point, there will be quote unquote the final rapture. And the only way you will make that final rapture is if you've been a part of the rapture that was happening while you were alive. From the day you're born in, again till the day you die, if Jesus hasn't fully yet come, a rapture is going on. You take place in that ongoing rapture, and when the final rapture happens, if you happen to be alive, you will be part of that final manifestation. And so I'm not going to live my life looking for a rapture. I don't need that rapture to pull me into order. Because the principle of the rapture is I should live every day being raptured into God's perspective and agenda. If you live your life that way, when the final rapture happens, you'll be fine. And the only way to live your life that way, like Bishop said, and I'm going to leave it here, is to consistently partner per day with the twinkling of the eye and the sound of the trump per time. What's the announcement from heaven? What shift in perspective does it require of me? What, what do I need to die to to be in Christ? Mm. Right? Which is the whole concept of baptism anyway. Mm. And then when Christ does come, I'll already be dead in him, already being caught up into his purposes. That will be the final purpose. And if it doesn't happen in my lifetime, bless God, I go to sleep. Finally, finally, finally on this point. Jesus made it very clear to us, like Bishop said, these will happen, this will happen, this will happen, the end is not near. We need to go back to Matthew 24, that scripture that has caused so much eschatological trouble. There's three questions there, which perfectly explains what Bishop just said. The disciples asked Jesus three questions of different timelines. What will be the signs of the destruction of the temple? Question one. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Jesus starts by saying this temple is going to be destroyed. What will be the signs of your coming? The second coming. They didn't understand the concept of a rapture at that time. And what will be the signs of the end of the world? The destruction of this earth and the establishment of a new heaven and earth. To those who you said were saying, well... Uh, why are we talking as if we're going to be here forever? We are going to be here forever. If you take the Bible literally, we take a seven-year vacation to heaven. Exactly. And whether that's seven literal years or seven metaphorical years, earth was always the domain of man. We were never designed for heaven. Heaven is the hotel we're going to live in while the earth is being renovated so we can come back to the earth. And so I want to live my life based on how I'm going to live in my home forever not based on the hotel I get to go to for either seven literal years or metaphorical years. And Jesus answers that question by introducing the concept of a rapture, and he gives one answer to three questions about three wildly different times in history. 
The temple was destroyed in AD 70 by General Titus. The end will be the end, and the second coming will be somewhere in between. And Jesus gives us one answer that is supposed to answer the signs of the temple's destruction, the signs of the second coming, not the rapture, and the signs of the end. It's fluid, it's prophetic, it's applicable to every season and time, and our job is to say, as sons of Issachar, what's the season now? And based on that answer, what do I ought to be doing as opposed to trying to figure out when the exact date's going to be or whether it's this is going to be before that or that before this. And like Bishop said, killing each other and refusing to talk to each other because we're pre-mid or post-trib or, or future millennial or pre-millennial <laughs> or pre-tourist or futurist. I too am a pan whatever to God be the glory. <laughs> Can I, can, can, can I jump in with something, Pastor Tim? Please jump in, jump in, Bishop. This is, this is just really deep. And I, I just, this is just me, me putting something on top of what Reverend Israel said. The, and I'm doing it to answer the original question where there are people who are saying, look, uh, you guys are talking like you're going to be here for a long time. And I thought, uh, you know, we, sh we should be looking up and, and uh, redemption draweth nigh and the, 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 the rapture and everything else. Listen to me very carefully. There is only one sign that Jesus gives in Matthew 24 of the end. And listen very carefully. He was asked three questions. When shall these things be? The destruction of the temple. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? There's only one sign that he gives for the end of the age. Watch it carefully. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness for a witness to every nation, and then shall the end come. So what we are doing, right, uh, this whole awakening, this consciousness, this redeployment of the body of Christ, this resetting of our values and the updating of our software, our operating system so God can install new applications in the body of Christ. All the stuff that's happening, uh, that's we, we continue that until we have concluded our mission, which is to preach the gospel in all the world for a witness or to produce the proof in front of every nation, which is ethne, which is every uh, structure, strata, facet of society. So the kingdom thing that we're about, that's God's thing right now. The yeah. escapist thing that many that we used to be about, that's yeah. totally unscriptural. Okay? Uh, retreat and escapism and totally unscriptural for this particular dispensation bishop can i just piggyback on that for 60 to 120 seconds i'm yes. so glad you said that jesus like you said there is one definitive marker in that discourse in matthew 24 and it is about the end it's not about the rapture it's not about the second coming it's about the expiration date of the physical earth we are in and when God replaces it with a new heaven and a new earth. That tells me three things. First of all, that's what God's shooting for. Everything else is going to take its place in that flow. Secondly, it's not the preaching of the gospel of the rapture 
or even the gospel of salvation. Come on now. And what Come preaching on. doesn't mean microphone and church. Come on it means now. the declaration. The same way the Bible says the heavens are declaring. So it's not so much what we say alone as how we express. And that is how all biblical prophecy was fulfilled. There was an Old Testament metaphor, what I call a concealment, like Abraham offering up Isaac, for instance. God needs a pattern to come into the earth as a spirit. And then there is a season where that pattern is successfully built on. And when there is sufficient uh, weight of human expression of that principle in the earth, then the full manifestation comes. So when the full expression of what the gospel of the kingdom the kingdom, not church, denomination, not even salvation. In essence, when there is a sufficient, uh, what's the word, a critical mass of what heaven's agenda looks like in the earth, mm. then the end can come. So that doesn't have to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. The rapture can happen before that's finished. That doesn't have to be fulfilled for the second coming to happen. The second coming can happen while that's being done. God says, when what I originally designed comes to pass, then this earth is over. I can start afresh. And so if you, want, if you are escapist, if you really want to leave this planet, then you should actually be doing it the way Bishop spoke about. The way, the way to speed it up, right, is to get out of that corner, dancing around the Aaronic priesthood, and to build a, a Melchizedek generational kingdom priesthood where every believer wakes up every morning and says lord where's my territory what's my altar how would you like me in my surrender to you today to bring heaven to the earth when there's enough of that going on on the earth whatever has happened in between whether or not the rapture has happened whether or not the second coming has happened when enough of that happens god says we're done with this earth we can start afresh and if you really want that to happen then get out of that corner and follow the business bishop <laughs> <laughs> um thank you thank you so much reverend israel bishop wayne our time is done i know we could easily go on for another hour um but um we won't <laughs> and you can continue to drink from this wine by following any one of these men of god um we have been delivered from the es an escapist theology that emphasized the rapture as a big escape, um, which was premised on fear, um, fear of tribulation, fear of the Antichrist, fear of um, how bad the devil is. And so we need this escape hatch to get away um, from him. Um, and we've been delivered from that to understand that um, we are meant to occupy till he comes. In other words, he's meant to meet us busy at any point in time, advancing the kingdom, um, fulfilling our assignments, um, doing whatever he has called us um, to do. And that's for every one of us, not just the minister or the, uh, or the preacher behind the pulpit. In fact, when we look at Ephesians chapter 4, um, it says, and he gave some, not all, some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's interesting that the designation some is put there, um, which 
dependent on your theological per persuasion, indicates that not everybody's in that fivefold. It doesn't mean that mm. you don't have an expression of, let's not get, get into the, that theological debate, but you understand what I'm saying. And the point that I'm, I'm making is that the pulpit in church is not the goal for every believer. The goal is actually the pulpit in your office, the pulpit in the marketplace, the pulpit in the various sec sectors of society. There we display the glory of God and we preach the gospel of the kingdom. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm so, so honored um, that you are here and that you honored the invitation to be here. And I know that the people are tremendously blessed. Um, if you want to sow into the ministry, I'm quite sure that the um, moderator behind the scenes will put details of how you can do so. Your seeds are blessed. Your support is encouraged. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Um, once again, my brothers, thank you so, so much. Thank you. For being on here with me tonight. I'm thoroughly blessed. Hallelujah. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And I trust that you are blessed also. Thank you for all that tuned in and stayed tuned all the way to this time. God bless you real good. Let's all have a wonderful, wonderful night's rest in with in the Lord. Amen and amen. God bless you all. Bye-bye. Amen. Bye. Bless you, sir. Blessings. Bye-bye.